So, Berto, have you seen the TV show on Netflix called Mind Hunter? Mind Hunter? Have I ever? Did you like it? I did. I did enjoy it. How many out of 10 stars would you give it? How many out of 10 Birdos? Uh, you know, 7.58. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I would give it a 7. Yeah. There were, in the beginning, I, I liked it a lot more than as it sort of went on. Oh, that's funny. I was sort of the opposite. Really? <laughs> I thought that the beginning was very intriguing, and I was really intensely watching because I didn't know what was happening. Because the first scene where there's that one guy yes, who takes his clothes, clothes, off, clothes off, I thought it was going to be like X-Files or something. Right. Because I, I had no idea what it was going to be about. I had the same lack of knowledge and same first ex, uh, expectation. Yeah, I was like, wait, so it, 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 it's like, oh, is this going to be like supernatural yeah. or... Yeah, like at one moment, does he actually disappear? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, just 10 episodes, which I enjoy. I like these bingeable seasons right. that aren't like 30 episodes a season. You know, it's just 10, 10 episodes, which is pretty easy to watch over right. a, a short amount of time. And in the end, in spite of that first impression, uh, it, it didn't try to do too much. Right. You know, it, it kept to a fairly sort of narrow path in a good way. Yeah. Interesting subject matter, true story, mostly true. Uh, you know, it. if you haven't seen it, I'm guessing you'll like it if you don't have anything else to binge, you know, yeah. and I'm guessing you'll enjoy right. it, particularly if you like police procedurals, because it's, it's basically a fancy law and order show. Yeah. yeah. But, but <laughs> historical in, in that it's in the 70s and it's about the FBI and it's about the beginning understanding of serial killers. Well, and, and a lot of stuff I didn't know or even think about. Like, you know, when when you've been alive for even a little bit of time, you tend to assume that things have always worked out the right. same way. Yeah, I want to get into that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I import T-shirts from Peru. This, again, Netflix 2017, 10 episodes, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like whenever there's a good TV show, it ends up having like a really, really, high, yeah, really high Rotten Tomatoes rating. Yeah, I mean, I know... There's, it's like, I think it's because TV reviewers have very low expectation, or you know what I mean? Like when, when there's a good show, they're all like, whoa, that yeah. was great. You know? But I also think people do this too. Like I see this on my Facebook feed. Where like there'll be a, a storm of enthusiasm around the new thing, and it, it, I'm not again. I liked it. It's just it, I think the hype was a little overboard for a bit. Yeah, right. I it, mean, yeah. I, I understand if people like this show for sure. I gave it a seven yeah. out of ten, but I I can't understand how anyone would be like mind blown. Not mind hunter, mind blowers. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like it, it, you know, and it's got some problems with it too, which yeah. which I want to get into. Uh, based on the book Mindhunter, written by FBI agent John Douglas, the John Douglas uh, Holden Ford is based on the John Douglas character. So they took a, a nonfiction book yeah. and slightly fiction, fictionalized right. it. Um, I, I don't know why. Changed some names. Yeah, I don't know. They things. changed some things, but yeah. not other things. And. I'm I'm guessing it's because they wanted some liberty with regards to the characters behind, you know, what, yeah. what they did yeah. with their personal life so that 
the author didn't feel like he had to have his life on display right. or something. Like uh, many of the killers were real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, all the main ones are. Yeah, I, I think some of the like I think some of the side plots are not right because they wanted to have the surprise. Like, oh, right, we didn't know who did it. Right, uh, produced by David Fincher and Charlize Theron. Among, <gasps> among, I didn't know she was involved. Yeah, among other people. Oh, uh, four episodes are directed by Fincher. The first two and the last two, yeah. very similar feel and subject matter to Zodiac. Have, have you? Seen yeah, that? right. By by David Fincher. Yeah. Which I also gave 7 out of 10. Jake I, Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, Anthony Edwards, Robert Downey Jr. I guess I'd say I I liked Zodiac better than I liked this show, so I would have given that one an, a solid 8. Yeah, for sure. I liked Zodiac better in that it's faster paced, also a true story. And maybe not fair, because it's one concise movie. Right. This has to be a whole 10 episode. Right. Right. So for, you know, maybe it's like for a TV show, seven out of 10. Yeah. And for a movie, seven out of 10. Yeah. You know, so let's talk about what we liked. What what are the good things that we sure. liked about it? Um, I, the scenes with the serial killers were really interesting. I yeah. Thought. yeah. That one dude stole the, the show too. Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper. Yeah. I forget the, the actor's name, but yeah. He was great. I watched the videos of the real Ed Kemper. And, and actually, they did a good job of not just copying. Like it's not you know a lot of people are saying oh he, he he's identical actually he's not like he they really added like a little extra autist autistic flair to it or something um, or Asperger's like like they made him a little less sociable and uh, whereas the the real Ed Kemper sounded actually more normal right um, at least from the videos I watched uh, but but anyways the guy was phenomenal he was so. And and they picked like this huge dude, and and the guy was tall and everything. So you felt this ominous sense from the beginning. You're like, uh oh, yeah, uh oh, yeah. don't say the wrong thing, please, don't say the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I also thought it one of the most interesting parts of this whole show for me was how the FBI and how police work in general in the seventies, which I never knew had troubles integrating yeah. psychology into their detective work. Yeah. So that was one, uh, another thing I liked was that, uh, it was actually pretty educational because I, for some reason, assumed that the FBI was at the cutting edge of psychology. Well, right? and they were, but there, like there eventually, had, I guess there had to be a point where yeah. they became cutting right, edge right, and right. that was in the seventies. Apparently I just, for some reason thought, they were always like that, and, but but no, yeah, you're right. Like, why would they have been? <laughs> well, it, and it 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 makes total sense given the forces at play and everything. I mean, psychology yeah. in as a as a I don't know an accessible thing, psychotherapy as an accessible thing is a very recent thing, right? And 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 I didn't get the distinction at first in the early couple of episodes where I was like. Oh, by the way, we're going to spoil... Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but it's not really a spoilable show. You know, there's no twist. Not really. And it's based on true stories. So, yeah. so if you haven't seen it, I'm guessing if you watch after you listen to this uh, episode, I'm guessing it's not going to... Like, I don't feel like if you had told me everything that happens, with yeah. the exception maybe of the last scene or something, but only really... Yeah, I mean, mostly there's nothing that spoilable. Right. But we're still going to spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say is in the first couple episodes, I actually was having a hard time 
distinguishing the difference between what the cops were saying their approach was and what these college people were saying their approach was. Because I kept I kept thinking, especially that first scene was sort of what I, I've come to expect of, of FBI or uh, hostage negotiation stuff. Like, okay, that seemed on par. And then, and then they're like, hey, we want you to teach a course. I'm like, okay, I think I know where this is going. And then all of a sudden, he talks to that one dude. And I'm like, uh, at the very beginning, where, and the dude's talking about these, the change of the environment, the society is changing and all these things. And I'm like, okay. And all of a sudden, he's like, I'm going back to college. And then, I, then for a little bit, I was lost. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. What, how, why hasn't he read that book? What do you mean he doesn't know about that theory? How is he in this FBI like thing and he doesn't know about that? Right. That it was good <laughs> it was good storytelling in that he Fincher lets the the story unfold. Yeah. It's very unclear what's happening. Yeah. And actually I, I wanna just talk a little bit about Fincher. I after watching ten hours straight of Fincher and his style, because the other directors followed his style. Oh right, yeah. I, I figured out what distinguishes Fincher from other from other filmmakers. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing there are other filmmakers that do this too, but I think the combination that he has is that he creates an almost dreamlike uh, vibe. Yep. Not only in a number of different ways, and it's hard to pinpoint, but I was really watching it this time. One of the ways he does it is with camera work. Right. He, the the if you notice, normally when, say you have a scene where they got, the FBI agents are come, walking across a parking lot, they get into a car, and then the car drives off. And it's, yeah. all, it's all one camera shot. Well, one, other directors would just do three camera shots. Right. They, they'd do right. them walking, they'd have another camera shot getting in the car, and then they'd have another shot them pulling away. Right. But with Fincher, he'll, he'll do all one shot. And what he does is as they're walking it has it, there's a perfect either crane shot or hand, handheld where it's it's what do they call the it's not, it's the body cam where it's steady steady yeah, cam steady cam so you it's the camera seems almost like it's floating there's no right. there's no jiggly you know and he always makes sure that that the figures are very contrasted almost like in a Kira Kurosawa manner very uh, compo- you know, it's it's like when you when you take a, a snapshot, right? You always got to make sure that the the figures are in the frame in this almost perfect compositional style. Yeah. So the people are walking, and instead of just letting them walk and shooting them, he's like, "Okay, I need you." And my guess is, is he choreographs these things like meticulously. Yeah, it's kind of like a dance, right? Because like they hit they hit on beats, right? And and especially when there's audio, like there's music and stuff, like it also plays a role it's right right because like if i'm sure they rehearsed it like a hundred times because in order to have both actors stay in the exact same compositional frame as they're walking yeah it's hard and then and then when the car comes into the view then now the car becomes a part of that composition and and the door opens just at the right place and the leg comes out and yeah yeah and and everything is central there's always a center focus and so then the camera will pull out as, as they get into the car. And then as the car backs up, the camera perfectly keeps the car in the middle of the frame. So it's almost like, you know, you know when uh, they do that shot where 
they put a camera on a uh, on the body of a person and have it like uh, on a like on an arm and it's like mm-hmm. and the person's running and oh, all yeah, you yeah. see and their face is perfectly still. You see their face and then everything's kind of blurry behind. Them. But everything behind them is all jostly. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a bigger version of what he does, but with every subject, it's always like he right. keeps it right in the middle. <laughs> And again, he has to choreograph, okay, make yeah, sure totally. you drive at five miles an hour back because the crane is going to, you know, because it's hard to move yeah. that kind of frame. And, and, and he trains, so he trains your eye focus really well. Yeah. And so then he can pull off moves like like when he, um, remember in seven when the quote unquote dead guy comes to life mm-hmm. where you're like, there's that guy that had been tortured by being strapped to the bed yeah. and, and all of a sudden you're like intently staring and he's like, <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so, like, he, he's able to, like, draw you into, like, a point of focus and, like, yeah, it's, it's really masterful. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, when he has the tuna can with the cat in Mindhunter. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's such a simple little scene, but somehow right. it, 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 it has a, a, a danger to it. That's, <laughs> Even though she's, that's just, true. she's just putting tuna out for a cat. Yeah, that scene felt very... Dangerous. Good. Good way to put it. Very dangerous. And there was nothing really to it. Right. And they didn't even wrap it up. Like <laughs> no. it's, it's a cliffhanger for I mean, next. It seems season. like the cat's dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So it's very interesting show in that it it very it the main through line basically is Holden trying to learn about why these people commit these crimes. Right. And how to get law enforcement to use and understand the benefits of trying to think about, um, you know, these kinds of things. Uh, and we should say that this guy, the, the real guy who wrote this book was, I think part of the Unabomber, uh, catching the Unabomber. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Or at least his division was, Hmm. I don't remember the details on that. Um, no, I'm pretty sure it was him. Like, Early on when they were looking, I, I don't have the notes in front of me, but I'm, I'm 90% sure this is true. So the guy who wrote the book, the, okay. the Holden, uh, Holden Caulfield character, the no, Holden Ford character, <laughs> uh, later on when the Unabomber was blowing people up and killing people in the 90s, the FBI figured that he was just a low-life, uneducated idiot who, oh. wor- who worked for the airlines and stuff. And this guy comes along, and he like starts piecing together his own clues, huh. and said, "No, I'm pretty sure this guy's re- really intelligent. He doesn't work for the airlines, and he's from this part of the country, and wow. blah, 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 like all these different." So the things. guy's the real deal, <laughs> and, and he was right. You yeah. Know? And anyway, so, uh, by the way, like uh, funny you mentioned Holden Cult because as soon as the show started, I, I was like, um, I, I actually I had no idea if it was based on a real story at all, but. I thought, yeah, I didn't know until about like halfway through. I yeah. was like, wait, is this a is this a true story? But I thought, oh, Holden, that's a very I, that's got to be a very deliberate choice for the name of this character. Yeah, but um, that but and it was I actually because it wasn't the real name of the person, so they right. did pick it right. So um, the cops, as they are traveling around the country, are and I guess some of the FBI agents are just like. Why do you want to understand the psychology of these people? Right. In fact, they were quite aggressive because in, there was that whole part where they were like, I was there. I was trying to capture, uh, who was, oh, um, the Manson. Yeah. And, you know, 
and and he was trying to he, they felt he was like minimizing him or condescending or whatever well and and talking about how child abuse oh yeah like justifying that was, yeah. he was trying to justify it it's like that guy's just the devil you know <laughs> right right yeah. and we still have that today yeah but not necessarily in law enforcement you know right. in the public there's definitely that sort of thing but in law enforcement i think the 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 notion of trying to understand what in order to catch them you have to sort of get into their head you yeah. know what i mean anyway um one episode ends with them getting a grant <laughs> you know cuz at the end of every episode there's sort of a like a yeah, something twist. big With happens. <laughs> Some, something big happens yeah. just before the end. Either a scary thing or a triumphant thing or, a, you know, something yeah. to get you to watch the next, the next episode. Well, one of the episodes ends triumphantly with the three of them getting a grant. Yeah. <laughs> which I just have to point out is like an awesome thing to see for me as a scientist you know what i mean like right. like getting a grant yes you know yes great success <laughs> yeah but you really i think understand through shows like this how federal funds essentially your tax mm -hmm. dollar and like how politicians and how they can change history yeah how there are people who make choices about that kind of thing. And if, and if in the real life they had decided not to award that grant to those people, we would be 30 years back maybe. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and so as a tax paying public, we all need to pay attention to that and reward those politicians and those administrators who fund things that we think are worthy and, and defund things you know it's it's a very important part of the government even low, like city governments that i think is not looked at enough yeah that's true there's a lot of interesting scenes i mean every scene is interesting even though some of the scenes if i just described them to you you would be like well that doesn't sound very interesting like the shoes or or the scene where they have all the the paraphernalia from the murder yeah. and they have it like lined up um, and it's just sitting there and there's never like the super dramatic, do you recognize this? You know, yeah, yeah. it's just like subtle and in the background, but you see the person's reaction and the person's reaction is subtle. The killer's reaction is subtle. Right. Um, yeah. There's no sensational shootouts or anything. There's right. no sensational strangulations or, or car chases or anything. Yeah. There's, there's very few, I guess the initial scene was a little sensational and there, there's a couple other moments, but certainly minor by the, I mean, over the 10 episodes. Yeah, I thought the the gun, sh I mean, again, spoiler, it's in the first scene, but yeah. the guy shoots his head off. Yeah. Get clean off. Yeah. And I'm, even if that's possible, which I'm guessing it might be, it didn't look quite right to my eyes. Well, and, and actually watching the rest of the show, I sort of felt like they might have filmed that it early on like a pilot try, yeah. try to get the funding because that's not at all the rest of the show right uh i love the debbie character uh, I, the she's the girlfriend i all liked right. i liked how debbie um has a she's a deep character in some ways right yes uh, and she's i like want to get some interested in a lot of the college stuff right and i like how one of the story arcs over a few episodes is she cheats on him. Yes. Or 
it she was starting to cheat or something getting you know she was right. getting real intimate with this one guy and then they break up and then he is walking by the laundromat he sees her right he goes in the camera pulls out we don't hear their conversation and then later there's another scene they're back together yeah they don't spell it out yeah they don't <laughs> it's just like this you know these things happen yeah and we're not going to have a big yelling th- scene or a crying scene or a right you know a uh, a drama it's just like you know they they love each other and then he's getting a little paranoid she cheats because she's young and in college yes. and blah, blah blah uh and i also like that she's not this sort of traditional bombshell good looks you know what i right. mean yeah she she seems like like a a normal human being you know what i mean um i will say um so the first episode, maybe the first two episodes, yeah, they did throw me a little bit because I I didn't get the sense of the show till like the third episode because the dialogue, the dialogue in the first couple episodes was very uh, deliberate, almost like Quentin Tarantino scenes, hmm. and it felt artificial. And at first I was okay with it because I thought I didn't know where the show was going. So, like, when he was talking to the guy that was telling him, you know, times are changed. Uh, Oh, the guy who was lecturing. And remember how he ends his lecture early because everyone leaves? And then he's walking down the hallway and he sees this other dude lecturing and then they go to lunch. Mm -hmm. That conversation was one of these, like, super quippy conversations. And I was like... Okay, but but I thought that's where it was going. Like I, I don't know. I thought since maybe it's paranormal, I don't know, right? Yeah. And then when he met her at the club, it was the same kind of like super clever back and forths, and like she could do no wrong with her with her quips. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. But seeing the rest of the show, I think that was sort of out of place because the rest of the show is not quite like that. Yeah, <laughs> and it definitely tones it down. Like I didn't get that feeling. You know the rest of the episode. Yeah, I want to get into that when we get into the what was bad about this show section. But before we get to that, um, I like that they're not making Holden autistic, which is a very trendy thing these days. Oh, okay, <laughs> right? It's like, uh, oh, you mean like uh, Doctor House or Sherlock Holmes? Or- yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you just look empirically, I mean, there are time there are times when he doesn't seem to care about what other people's reactions are or oh yeah but or oblivious but way minor <laughs> but but it's pretty minor and yeah. he has a girlfriend and yeah. there's no scenes where it's like he doesn't get it it's no, it's right. just that he's he's from he seems like he's innocent and naive from a small town and, and the, the cases where he quote unquote doesn't get it is because he's trying to be too elaborate in his explanations or too flowery or too poetic yeah and then and then the dude's like dude these these guys tone it down these guys don't right it's just it, it's just it, I thought oh boy are they gonna make him autistic when he's not and and I, I'm mostly sure they're not making him autistic which yeah. I, I'm happy about. Not that I don't want autistic characters. I just hate this new trend of... Only if, smart people can be autistic. <laughs> right. If you're smart, you're autistic. Yeah. You know, or if you're if you're really good at figuring things out, you're autistic. You know, yeah. it's like, um, what? Yeah. Uh, I like that whole story about the principal who tickles the feet. Oh, yeah. That was a really interesting storyline. That story was line. ambiguous. Very good. Because- right. Because they never really resolved it. I was expecting... I was actually following it along going like... 
Oh, he's going to be proven right. He's going to be proven right. He's going to kill one of those kids. Uh, And nothing. Right. In fact, you have that emotional scene with the wife, like confronting him. And then that's, as far as we know, that's it. Right. Right. I liked that the general gestalt is that police work is hard and long. And sometimes you don't find the guy until he's killed for years. And I also really like that series with the attorney, district attorney, where they they were like, "You got to do it this way. It's the one brother, not the other." Blah blah blah. And then the DA didn't do that, but he got some convictions. And then they're confronting him. And I think in a normal quote unquote movie or Hollywood thing, he would have the district attorney would have been like a bad guy, like. Right. Well, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Instead, he's like, dude, I did the best I could. Thanks for the input. Yeah. No hard feelings. Right. And they're the ones who are like a little childish about it. Like, right. They were. You, you should have. Uh. Yeah. They were being the dicks. Yeah. And he's just like, uh, so. Um, look, look at the outcome. Like we actually yeah. got convictions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's go to some of the bad stuff. The scenes with their unit chief are all ridiculous. Wait, uh, the unit chief is the guy who's always against them. Yeah. Like, what, what is it? Uh, Riggs? Is, is Riggs? Right. Riggs! I mean, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that Fincher doesn't know about the, <laughs> the cliche where the, the boss of, of two cops is constantly getting in their way. And... Almost in his defense, what I will say is it didn't start that way. Remember, he was the one who was like, you should lecture. And, and he's like, but I failed. No, no, no. You actually, it was great. You like, sure, the guy killed himself. But imagine everyone else could have been dead. So we, we liked that outcome. I think you should lecture. And then he's like, okay, yeah, I guess you can go to college. And then he slowly starts going like, uh, I don't know about this stuff. But yeah, <laughs> it just, it, the scenes are just so, if, if that's accurate, then fine. Yeah. But I just can't imagine how if if you have a star group of three people who are make, doing some cutting edge stuff, solving actual crimes and trying to move your department forward, I just don't understand why he's so grumpy all the time. I mean, it, I guess what they need now that I think about it are scenes where he's being bitched out by some other group of people. Yeah, the, the consequences for some of the things that he did. Because I guess maybe we're used to the, your little car chase cost us $3 billion and it killed 20 Instead, this was like, you talked to some inmate without permission. Right. So we were like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think what right. we need is like his boss. Yeah. Like we're going to the whole thing. Yelling <laughs> at him and saying like. Do you have any control over your agents? Like, yes. uh, I'm gonna, you're, I'm gonna get rid of you. Yes. If you can't get control of your agents, I'm gonna get rid of you. And maybe, like, yeah, actually, in however way they could have done it, I think for the viewers, our maybe feeble minds, we could have used a little bit of, like, why does this matter so much? Right, right, yeah. I mean, I mean, those ones I sort of get because it's like if you're an agent, you're going rogue. Go rogue, yeah. But like, he would get upset about just everything, like any. Everything that happens, I guess the, I mean, the funny thing is his level of upsetness was equivalent when he was like, I uh, had an extra donut for lunch versus we lied and destroyed the evidence. Right. (laughs) Right. And then he's actually like, well, now we got to cover it up. (laughs) I mean, by the third time there was a grumpy police boss scene, I was like, is this a joke? You know, um, 
I also am getting very tired of the David Fincher green tint in every single scene. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> it he has he has I don't know if he's colorblind. Is he? I don't know. <laughs> the other he always has a green tint. Yeah. And that's a part of his style and it gives it that sort of dead or I don't know, dreamy bleak. dream bleak, yeah. yeah. Bleak and dreamy. Yeah. And fine. But if I am going Jesus, that's a lot of green. I turn tint. it down. Yeah, you know, like if I if I notice it, yeah. like consciously, you've not done your job. It's supposed to be I a see. very subtle <laughs> tint change. You know what I mean? And, and like it, like I was saying about the dialogue, uh, I actually I I felt the show improved as the episodes went on in that in a few categories. One of them is that the dialogue started to get more normalized, whereas in that first one or two episodes. I thought they were going for something completely different because every word was so perfect. Yeah. Every answer was so perfect. Well, in my opinion, the dialogue is one of the weakest things about the entire all 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. The dialogue tells a story, which yeah. is fine, but every single sentence, no matter what the emotion, is said in the same way. <laughs> you know, he. I think yeah. it, maybe it's part of his whole dreamlike sort of vibe that he's going for where it's like everything i don't know everyone talks the same and there's there's a problem with directors doing that where they basically they take away the actor's ability to act i see and they force them all to it's sort of like how every woody allen movie sure everyone talks like woody allen sure even though you know like if it, or yeah when uh, when uh when uh <laughs> Edward Norton is in a Woody Allen movie. He talks like Woody Allen. When Larry yeah. David is in a Woody Allen movie, he talks like Woody Allen. <laughs> Have you seen um, Extras, the Ricky Gervais show? Yeah. So you know how he has all the guests in each one of the episodes? Yeah. But almost every one of them were a version of like David Brent from The Office. Like right. it was, It was... Ricky Gervais in an in an other actor's body, right? <laughs> Which actually worked fine because it's only six episodes and it's a comedy, and right? Whatever. No, that yeah. that show is that show yeah. is hilarious. But it, when I was watching it, I was getting a little tired. It was almost a little wary of the way that people talked, yeah. you know, and just yeah. I, I wish Fincher would have just said, I wish he would have just let the actors kind of be themselves a little bit yeah. more. You know, like part of me at first was like. Is it just that, like, in the 70s, people just talked way more better? <laughs> and I'm just way dumber. <laughs> um, um, also, yeah. another thing I didn't like was that some of their analyses seemed way overconfident. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so now we're getting... Like, the, the thing that I thought was hilarious, and I was thinking of you the whole time, was as soon as we met the, the psychologist, the, the therapist, the psych- was she a psychiatrist? The, the, the professor? Gal, the professor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was she? Was she... She's a professor. Of... She's, not a, she's not a clinician. Oh, okay, but what was she a professor of? Um, psychology or sociology okay, or right. anthropology. So as soon as we met her, they used the, the other cliche, which is, you know, oh, she's a professor. She, like, she's she has psycho- some magical... Psychology, psychology professor, okay. yeah. She's got some magical properties, yeah. Where all of a sudden she could dissect, you know, like they had a couple scenes where she's like, no, what happened was blah, 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 right. blah, blah, blah. And it was like yeah. this perfect prognostication. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's ridiculous. Like, one, no, that doesn't happen. And two, 
especially not back then right when the science was just beginning right. i mean if we don't understand how many people out there believe the police can predict who is going to kill someone and you know absolutely, what I mean? absolutely and and actually it, it sort of would play better if it is someone, some character that's ancillary, but all of a sudden it turns out they have this kind of special gut feeling or really good way to read people. But the, but they made it, oh, it's because she teaches psychology. She has this deep insight into everyone's mind. Well, and also and predict everything. <laughs> they give that to Holden Ford, too, in that. But but with, that he's yeah. like this super genius. But see, I almost forgive it more because it's like randomly some FBI agent happened to have a really good knack at this. Yeah, but what I <laughs> wish they would do is a more realistic depiction because mm-hmm. you know it's the it's the Sherlock Holmes problem where there's this interesting story apparently yeah uh, and house and that kind of, it's just interesting apparently to audience or they think it's going to be interesting where someone can just look at a scene and figure it out, you know, instead of real life, which is, you know, gathering data, which they kind of show them doing, and then making hypotheses, maybe trying to test those hypotheses, and making guess, you know, general guesses, with some of them panning out and some of them not. And then always trying to refine your... Right from the start, Holden and uh, Dr... Wendy Carr, the way that the story is going, or at least the way that it feels as I'm watching it, these two people always know the right answer. Right. Yeah. And the other guy never knows the right <laughs> answer. He's always this bumbling. Well, you know, but he can add a little bit of grit, street grit. Right. Uh, now, and I'm getting a little tired of that, too. Like, uh, he's always rolling his eyes. Oh, uh, hold it. I'm like, at what point are you going to realize that? He's always right. Like, he still stabbed him in the back with the uh, interviews, remember? Yeah. Uh, so, I was going to say, the reason Seven wor- worked so awesome for me so well is because uh, of what you were just saying. First of all, Brad Pitt was not the cleverest tool in the bunch in that movie, but on purpose, you know, that's his character. But he's, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try to solve this. And then his partner is super smart. Um What's his name? The Voice, you know. Um, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. He's super smart, but he's not, he doesn't like, he, he doesn't have these little diatribes of like, well, it's obvious from the evidence that blah, blah, blah. No, instead he's like, well, I think we got to go read in the, in the library. And then they go read for a while. He's like, well, I think we're looking for this. And they're sort of right. And then they go and by accident, they run into the killer, but then that almost kills one of them. And they're never fully right. Right. And I like that, you know, it's like, but, but you see their progress, you see their, their thing. In this one, there are those moments where it's like the uh, in the house, yeah, the the scene from House or Sherlock Holmes, where they're like, "Oh, what did you just say? Potato? That's what it was. It was, you know, right. the potato must have fallen in the pot, and the pot splashed, and then the person knew that." <laughs> right, and so, and I'm just remembering some of the dialogue scenes. Well, let's take a break, and when we get All back, right. let's continue. <laughs> All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so now. Go to Patreon.com. When you become a patron, you get access to our premium feed in which we have hundreds of patron-only episodes in which we do deep dives into various interesting topics. And when you're a patron and you listen to that feed, you don't have to listen to the vast majority of commercials. Also, I just published my book called Multi-Role Clinical Supervision. Multi-Role Clinical Supervision. You can buy it on Amazon. And it's a book about supervision, but... 
people have been telling me that even though they're not in the field, they enjoy reading it. So is this a real thing then? What? Like we're now at this point, like I, I hadn't really read the news, but I'm so glad. Like how, how do you, how do you get to have that supervision? Do you have to wear, is it the glasses you're wearing? <laughs> Great. I love it. I knew that was going somewhere, but, and I'm glad it paid off. <laughs> um, also, tell a friend about the podcast or, or post episodes on Facebook, you know, spread the word, you know, because uh, a lot of times that's how people find out about yeah. it. Yeah. Also, join the Facebook fan group. I don't ever go there. You go there. I've somewhere. started to post more or like answer uh, in a very professional manner. Uh, mostly it's just sarcastic comments. <laughs> uh, famous patron Lyndon uh, moderates that. Lyndon and I get into great back and forths, mm-hmm. you know, all, all fun. Like, I'll make a little reference to something, then he'll add his own reference, and then we'll, you know. It looks like he's grown quite a beard. Oh, yeah. Since the last time yeah. we saw him. Also, there's a live event. That's right. January 27, 2018, Antioch Uni- University, 3 o'clock. You can go to the Facebook page, not the fan group page, but the regular Facebook page, and we'll have updates on the event, but... Nice. We're, we're going to, it's a live event for a couple hours, and then we're going to go to a nearby uh, restaurant, bar, place that has video games and pinball and stuff. It's like an Andy Kaufman show. Right. Uh, and I was talking with Rebecca Bloom. She's going to be there, too. And she's going to do a segment where people tell her, because she's an art therapist, people tell, whisper something to her to, to draw, and then she's going to draw, and then everyone has to guess it. What? That sounds so fun. Yeah. And apparently she has this, like, amazing ability to draw anything. Oh. Like, fast. Wow. So I can't wait to see that. We should do it with me doing it, and that way no one can guess it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we could do, like, you and her. Both, and, you know. Yes, yes. Uh, and just see, like, what you come up with. Right. <laughs> also, join Talkspace. It's an online therapy group. A lot of people are letting us know that Talkspace is a good service. And, you, yeah. I mean, it, it just, it basically, it just connects you with a therapist. It's not, it's not their therapist. It, it's, you know, like I, for instance, could sign up as a Talkspace therapist if I wanted to. Right. And, and so they connect you with therapists and, a lot of people are saying it's it's really great. And use the promo code Kirk because when you use the promo code Kirk, then they know that you're one of our listeners and they continue to sponsor us. Right. Also, I, uh, if you're a $20 patron, you, you get a mug. I send out the mugs like every couple months, every few months. So it, it it'll take might take me a while to actually send you the mug. I thought we would send some, some uh, swag to people. So let's let's look at some new patrons. New and send some swag to some new patrons. Uh, Berto, take, pick a number between one and ten. Seven. Rose, patron Rose, you are in California. You're going to get some swag. Uh, pick a letter between I don't know, A and Z. And then the letters that yeah. okay. Uh, all right, I'm going to go with a little H. H, 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 looking for an H here. H for Umberto. Uh, gosh, how, how come I can't find an H? Um, uh, H, not a lot of names start with H. Pick another. Pick All a, right. Oh, no, I got one here. Okay. Henning, well, the, but Henning doesn't have a address. Oh, no. Uh, let's see. Is yeah, give me another letter. Okay, well, the nearest one, let's go to I. <laughs> 
Not a lot. Of, okay, Ian. All Ian, right, there Ian. you go. See, poor Ian almost didn't get a treat. Ian in <laughs> Connecticut. And give me another letter. All right, let's go further down to R. R, R, R. Uh, Rebecca. Rebecca nice. from England. Uh, yeah, from England. Nice. So, so patron Rose, Rebecca, and Ian, thanks to you for being patrons recently, and we will send you some swag in the mail. All right, so let's move on here. Um, in, in some ways, let's say I'm looking at my notes here. In some ways, it's just another show that is obsessed with serial killers. And one of the reasons why people commit these sorts of crimes. Right. Right. Because our fascination with serial killers and mass shooters and mass killers, it, it is, is, you know, weird, but, but innocuous in one way, but looked at another way due to our media obsession over the years with these sorts of figures, it, when someone is suicidal or, they just want to throw their life away essentially. Mm-hmm. And they, and they're, they're thinking about what they could do with their final minutes. A lot of people will go like, well, maybe I'll become another Ed Kemper, you know? Hey man, listen, um, name one, you know, famous scientist or humanitarian from the wild West in the 1800s. Right. Oh, but there's Billy the Kid. Jesse James. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. These are sort of serial killers. Like, right. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, if you, yeah, who do we hold up as interesting figures? Yeah. And there's a there's an interesting kind of back romanticization that happens, too, that I don't understand at all. Mm-hmm. That, that when you become, when there's enough time that goes by, like, there's a certain amount of people that worship Charlie Manson. You know, he's, that's true. Yeah. There's a certain amount of people yeah. like, ooh, you know, he's kind of, kind of an interesting. Oh, and like Jack the Ripper became over the years became sort of like this mysterious romantic figure. Yeah, he was a terrible, horrible, brutal, right. sadistic, just awful torturer of innocent people. And yeah, there's 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 this weird thing that we do, you know, and and so in some ways when I watch shows like this, I'm just like. Okay, you know, free speech, you can't, like, ban shows right. like this. But at the same time, our, our interest in it is, is what actually leads to this sort of thing happening in the first place, some, yeah. some of the time. Yeah. And especially the spree killers. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it just makes you, I don't know, and I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, that's true. It, there is a morbid aspect to it. And there was one moment about i don't know halfway through two two thirds of the way through one one moment that was the dumbest thing i'd ever seen almost the <laughs> dumbest thing not the dumbest but <laughs> definitely in the 10 episodes i just was like that oh, is that's can I you think of what it was um was it related to the brothers no okay it was just one like real quick moment okay. real quick like like event that happened and it's supposed to be it's supposed to be for shock value oh really and i was like I was I was like and I even I even paused it and and went on the internet to see if it actually happened because I'm like that better have actually happened because if it didn't then then that was really bad writing you know what I mean Interesting and it was supposed to be for shock value It's real fast Okay I don't know I mean It involved Speck do you remember Speck Which one's Speck The guy who had um 
He was the guy. Well, anyway, he was one of the serial killers. Yeah, but which one? Like he the, was. Uh, I, uh, I don't know how to describe him, but he he was. They only talked with him a couple times. He was very honorary with them. The guy was really up. Like uh, he had the bird. Aggressive. He had the bird. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember the bird? Yes, I do remember the bird. So he throws the bird in the he fan. He throws it at the fan. Yeah, that was the dumbest. That was. That's along those lines of when you walk away from an exploding vehicle and you don't turn around. Well, first of all, can uh, what kind of fan was that? Like right. a industrial strength uh, a bird grader? A bird killing fan. <laughs> a bird killing. It was it was basically yeah, it was basically a a lawnmower on its side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean if, if you didn't see the show, there's this moment where this one serial killer, the FBI agents are interviewing him. And they're pissing him off. Yeah, and he's been he's been he's been coddling and nursing this one tiny little bird back to health. And it's supposed to be this contrast, right? Because he's this total dick, right? And this this hardened serial killer with all these badass tattoos. And and then he starts making fun of them. He's like, "You believe what Ed Kemper told you? Yeah, you know, he told me you got you know he told me everything, right? And then without turning around, there's a fan like up. And behind him, he just throws this bird into the like in the direction of the fan. It's probably like I don't know five feet behind him. <laughs> the bird instantly explodes, <laughs> like there's nothing left. Do you know what I mean? Well, first of all, what you're not understanding, Kirk, is that for uh, a lot of these serial killers have really amazing abilities to sense. Yeah, and they're so strong because the the serial killerness yeah. gives their muscles this added like strength. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I was like I was like, "Wait, did I just see I thought, well, I thought maybe I maybe I didn't catch him turning around because if he turned <laughs> if he at least if he turned around mm-hmm. and looked at the fan and then aimed the bird at the fan, <laughs> I'd be like okay. I'd be like, "Well, still stupid, but cuz there's, you know, the fan has a protective thing of on course. it." Of course. Well, even if it didn't, like no fan is going to disintegrate. Like, the bird disintegrated. Right, right, <laughs> right. Like, you, you would have, like, heard it, but it probably wouldn't have killed it, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and but, so he just chucks it over his shoulder, like those YouTube videos where guys, like, throw a basketball over their shoulder and it, and it goes swish, you know? It's like, and, and he doesn't turn around to see if the bird died. Like, as far as he knows, he just threw the bird like yeah. at the wall, and it's flying around the room right now. That, he doesn't even know. Right. He just throws it, boom, it's dead. He knows it he knows somehow. It. And he's like, right. and he delivers some stupid line, you know? And I'm just like, so I, I was like, what? And again, I Googled it, and they found out that that never happened. You know, he, he never nursed a bird. So, like, that was, the writers inserted that ridiculousness in. Right. Anyway, like I said, seven out of 10. Yeah. No, I mean, Overall, like I like the mood, I like the the stories. I I did enjoy learning about the FBI and how they discovered how to leverage psychology, the serial killers. But there were things. So let's talk about some of the killers. So every episode begins in Wichita, Kansas, yeah, or here in Kansas, and there's this ADT guy mm-hmm. who we we never see him kill anyone, not yet, but he looks like something's up with menacing that guy. and he was yelling at that one dude in that one scene yeah. and then towards the end we see his horrific drawings where he binds tortures right do you do you know who who this is like in real binds life? tortures yeah. and kills yeah right so it's a kansas real guy kansas 
in Kansas, Dennis Rader, called the BTK Killer. Spoiler! <laughs> or the Blind Torture Killer. It's not a spoiler, really. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's No, not- I mean, it is if you didn't look it up. But I looked it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I, I was sure it was it was a famous serial killer. Because yeah. why would they be showing? So I just looked. All I did is Kansas serial killer, and the first thing that popped up was BTK. Right. I was like, all right, it's got to be BTK. But I think it makes it. I mean, one, if you're a Kansas person, you probably know. Yeah. And two, like if it had been Seattle, right? And you had a dude riding well, around I, in a little. Right. I kept waiting for the Green River Killer to show up. Right. But, but I was thinking of uh, Ted Bundy. Oh, Ted yeah. Bundy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so we have, he works for ADT. He killed from 74 to 91. Jeez. So what is that? Like, That's like 16, 15, seven, yeah. 17 years. <laughs> he was caught and he wasn't caught until 2005. So for, for 30 years, he was, you know, free. He was, he was a family man. He had kids. He had a, he had a job. He was just a total normal guy living a total normal So he normal wasn't life. a typical dysfunctional Right. He had two wow. kids, and his daughter actually wrote a book about growing up with him and then finding out about his secret So maybe life. he was more like a sadist than a... Well, I haven't looked into his yeah. psychology, but but it's just an interesting presentation. Yeah, yeah. You know, not your typical, right? Crazy. That, <laughs> yeah. So uh, so the, the killers that we see interviewed, Ed Kemper being one, we've talked about that. There's actually a Sword and Scale. There's a podcast called Sword and Scale. I don't know if you know about it. Mm-hmm. But it, the podcast is about different crimes, and, and it's, it's pretty interesting because they will have interviews. And so they'll, they'll have, like, they won't, it's not just us talking about things. They'll, they'll actually, like, have clips, a lot of clips, you oh, know. interesting. And this, this Sword and Scale episode about Ed Kemper is there's a lot of interview uh, footage uh, mm-hmm. talking to Ed Kemper about what he did. And he's, a, he's an interesting guy because he, uh, in the span of a couple of years, he, he killed like eight to 10 people or something at least. And he would dismember them and then have sex with like, he would, so just to let you yes. know, we're, we're going into a section where we're talking about these killers and I'm not going to go into full detail, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like some of the details need to be mentioned, and so if you, if you don't like talk about rape and killing and necrophilia and stuff, I, who I, doesn't I, like that? I would just skip it. But anyway, Ed Kemper uh, would cut off the heads and then have sex uh, with with the uh, with the throat, right? Yep, that's what they say. Right, uh, and oh, so he was uh, well when so when he was fifty. So going back to when he was 15, he murdered both of his grandparents. Right. And he was sent to a mental hospital and released at the age of 21. By the way, one of the things that I didn't like is that in several of these cases, they they wrapped up the reason too neatly. Ah, it was the way the mom treated him. Right. And it's like you don't see that with Bundy or uh, uh, Ed or none of the major... Well, like when they interview them, they'll say things and you may, well, maybe that played a role. Well, maybe that played a role. But there's never like this clean cut. It was the day my dad made me take the garbage out. Right. It's a completely ridiculous notion when you just think about one fact, which is how many men, how many boys are abused. Yeah. And how many of them grow up to be killers like Ed Kemper. Right. We're talking like 0.00001% of the people who have the exact same background as Ed Kemper result in mm-hmm. cutting off people's heads and having sex with the throat. You yeah. know, it's, I mean, I, like how many of them 
killed someone out of anger from their abuse, let alone the extreme, extreme, extreme. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah. So that's another part of the show that that bothers me in that. If you don't know that and you watch the show, then you're going to be like, oh, I get it. Like when you when you're treated badly as a kid or and it's like a one plus one equals two. Right. Because it's not just that they were treated badly. It's like she, you know, what was it? Uh, She liked people looking up to her. So I buried the heads looking up at her. That explains my crimes. You know, that's like a metaphor for like one action led to that reaction. Right. It's clear. Right. It's clean cut. Right. Exactly. I mean, the the fact is, is FBI included. No one understands why Ed Kemper right. and other people like him do what they do. And in and, and the interviews I've, I've watched of these sorts of folk, they themselves will not have good reasons. You know, like remember Ted Bundy's like, I honestly can't tell you. I had a good family life growing up uh Dahmer you know like there are different things but they, they don't have it solved and then they try to come up with theories like Dahmer had this whole thing about how yeah I think it was the porno oh no Ted Bundy I think it was the pornography that really did it to me yeah and then he was like actually militant about it like I think they should ban pornography right yeah uh to this day every now and then we'll get an email about our episode on Ted Bundy mm-hmm. do you remember making an episode yeah. oh of course I remember yeah yeah that was, I don't remember what we said, but I loved making that episode. That was one of the first episodes that I kind of went off a script, really. I felt, anyway, it was also the sort of the beginning of my abilities to do research, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I watched documentaries and I right. took notes and everything, but... I probably should have done more because like every now and then every third email that I get about that episode is like, you got the entire thing wrong because <laughs> there's so many, there's so much bad information sure, out there sure. and, and I repeated it, but that episode was in 08 or early wow. 09. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. And another part of that episode was that our camera guy wasn't there. Yeah. Right. So, so I, so we were still doing video mm-hmm. podcasts and I filmed it by just putting a couple video cameras on a tripod, and then we just sat in my office mm-hmm. in my on my couch. I do remember that, yeah. And we just the you, me, and Lita just talked right. about it. And I, it's a it's the only episode in which we did that, where we just sat uh-huh. in my office, <laughs> and, and I and at some point beyond that, I just went to audio because yeah. I'm like, why do we have to look at us while we talk? You know. <laughs> And I have a very snazzy um, uh, Argyle uh, uh, sweater vest on. I oh, okay. I remember that much. Yeah, I mean, basically, imagine if every like, does anyone watch porn? <laughs> right. <laughs> what is like? Imagine if the billions of dollars industry, everyone that that consumed porn turned into a serial killer. <laughs> Right. So just to wrap up, Ed Kemper, during his 1973 trial, he requested that he be killed by torture as punishment for his crimes. He, he actually is kind of an advocate for wanting to stop people like him in this mm. weird way. That's right. In the show, didn't they ask him, well, what do you think should be? It's like tor- death by torture. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's still alive today, age 69, and he believes he should not be released to protect the, the public. So going on, Richard Speck was the other one with the, with the bird. Mm-hmm. He was abused as a child, similar to Ed Kemper. 
He started committing small crimes. He got married, had a child. He abused his wife. And then one day he goes into this. Uh, he Somehow he finds out that in, in Chicago, there's this townhouse that is home to a bunch of nurses, mm-hmm. a bunch of nursing students, I think. And this is 1966. And so he knocks on the door and then he forces his way in. And I think with, and he has a gun Mm -hmm. and he rounds up all the girls and then proceeds to beat them, brutalize them and and kill them. And he raped at least one of them. But, and all the women were, you know, young, like 19 to 24. And, the, it's I was reading this one thing, and they, they hypothesized that so one of the women got away, and and what they're saying was there were so many women that he killed that night he couldn't keep track of all of them, and the <laughs> one the one he the one that actually let him in to the house at first she ran and hid underneath a bed and and he he never found her wow and so after he left she ran out and got help and oh was God. able to to finger him for the for the. And he uh, went to prison and died in prison 25 years later. Jerome Brudos is the guy with the shoes. He killed four women in Oregon in the late 1960s. He was born in South Dakota. Uh, there's a lot of... there's You can go online, actually, on YouTube. There's lots of documentaries about these people, interviews with them. There's this very creepy interview with, with Richard Speck uh, that you can watch in which he's like, I don't care. I don't have any remorse about it. And he's just, yeah. it's just interesting. I haven't seen that, but I can imagine. I, I saw uh, an interview with a serial killer. This is a while ago. Uh, no one famous, at least I'd never heard of him. Um, and he was, he was basically talking about that lack of feeling about the, the stuff, you know, and, and it was just so depressing. Yeah. So Jerome Brudos, he was uh, abused also by his mom. He found a high heel shoe. He found a pair of high heel shoes at the garbage dump when he was five, brought it home and put them on and started wearing them just just as a kind of a joke as a kid or something. Mm -hmm. And his mom became extremely increasing her abuse of that because she didn't like him doing that. And... I'm guessing that, and there's a lot of speculation about this guy because it's like there's a lot of data to speculate on, and I'm going to do the same. <laughs> In terms of at an early age, he must have had a very co- complicated relationship with his mom. You know, he right. hated her, was afraid of her, and loved her, and wanted her approval and wanted her love. And here she is, and then he puts on her shoes essentially and right. starts walking around. So that's interesting. And then she proceeds to beat him, you know, and say, you, you know, you can't do that. And then he starts to hide these shoes and, and he starts to associate women's clothing with what he wants. And I'm guessing it's because he, he there's a, there's a compulsion, to, a, a weird thing where you want to identify with the abuser because you feel powerless. Right. When the abuser is abusing you, you feel powerless. And one of the ways you can cope with that among various other ways is to identify with the abuser because they have so much power. Mm. So you look to that, it's like, I feel powerless. Well, how do I get power? You know, how do I become powerful? 
Well, who do I know who has power? Well, this person who abuses me all the time. Mm-hmm. She wears high heel shoes. She wears w- women's underwear. She, you know, and so I'm going to start wearing that stuff. Now, mm-hmm. who knows, you know, and, and may- maybe it was just, he just, maybe there was some gender issues with him, you know, sure. who knows. But, but anyway, uh, he eventually. So the point is if, if a kid wears high heels, they will become a serial killer. That's right. He, he spent his teen years in and out of psychotherapy and psychiatric hospitals. He actually went to the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest Hospital in Oregon, mm. the, the, the same hospital that, that that wow. was written about. He began to stalk local women as a teenager, knocking them down and choking them unconscious and taking their, and taking their shoes. Uh, what are the stats on this? Like, it feels like I hear these stories in several of those cases, like, they were in the facilities at the age of 15, but eventually they were out, and then they killed a whole bunch of people. Right. So, so again, <clears throat> it's tempting to... Now, the, there are commonalities among these people. There, there are a yeah. lot of men. There's not a lot of women. Right. You know, the vast, vast majority of them are men, so that's one thing. They are often white yeah. for whatever reason. They have often been mistreated as children. They often have parents who have issues themselves mm-hmm. of some kind. And they have an, and they often have an escalation of behaviors, you know, but out of the, out of the people who fit that profile in America, mm-hmm. the amount of people who go on to kill anyone, right. as we've been saying, is like point zero zero one percent. You know, it's it. <sighs> the the how many guys have problems as teenagers end up in a psychiatric hospital for some reason and are released and never kill anybody. You know, yeah. there's there's it's got to be you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent of that that those people. So so, so it is in, it is interesting to to look at the commonalities, but. Mm. It's tempting to say, well, like, therefore, all we have to do is look for this profile and we'll be able to stop it. Yeah. And that's just not true. Or you, or even if it were true, you might end up imp- imprisoning or doing whatever with 99% of people that would have been right. fine. Having said that, there, there are certain hallmarks that you could make predictions around that are better than just chance, right? Like, yeah. like someone who tortures cats, as kids, right, and then as a teenager, rapes somebody, yeah, and then stabs someone in a sort of like they're not for no for no real reason, you know. Yeah. They're they're just like they're not desperate for money, and they're not mugging someone. They're just like they just are, you know they just stab someone, or they stalked their gr- the three of their girlfriends and right. made and made verbal threats to, to hurt them or something you know like there's a certain prediction you're like well and and i think the justice system tries to work with that i mm. think they 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 start looking at those things and go like the, ch- the there's a much greater chance that yeah. this guy is going to move forward and you know do kind of bad things but anyway so age 17 he he abducted and beat a young woman threatened to stab her if she did not follow his sexual demands, and he was arrested for this, um, actually, the what he did was he he had a neighbor, and you know liked her, and uh, got her somehow into his house, 
like invited her over something. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, wait a second. And then he leaves the room and he comes back with a, with a mask on, like a, you know, like a, like a stocking cap pulled oh, over his boy. face. And he, and he's like, um, you know, I think he has a knife or something. He's like, take your clothes off or I'm going to kill you. Oh and and so she takes her clothes off and then he takes pictures and then he runs out of the room and then he comes back without the mask on what? and he says, I went into the garage and some guy knocked me out. And, uh, what oh happened? God. What happened? Like what, 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 you know, what, and, and the, the girl's like, I know it was you asshole. Like, and she runs out of the house and then she oh calls, my she, God. like not the brightest bulb. No, you no. know, <laughs> That's incredible. So he gets caught for that. He, he gets sent to a psychiatric ward for nine months. They assess him. They thought that his sexual fantasies revolved around his hatred and revenge against his mother. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which I always find interesting is like a lot of these people get diagnosed with schizophrenia when they, I haven't seen, I mean, of course I don't have the assessment in front of me, but I, I don't see any evidence of psychosis. Do you know what I mean? Oh, okay. It, it seems like schizophrenia, maybe back then, was just sort of thrown around hmm. for people that they just didn't understand. But um, I, I have a question. Yeah. So the person that does this, uh, that does sort of like these behaviors, I noticed that in a lot of cases, they have, there's a theme around sexuality, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them seem to be. Yeah. And we've talked about before how growing up, it's never safe or okay to talk about your sexual fantasies. Right. And how interesting it would be if from a very young age, you have a, a forum or a mechanism or a way and you're encouraged and, and it feels safe to talk about your fantasies, even grotesque, even weird stuff. And somehow that can guide counselors into what to do about people, you know, and how to help those people grow up. And and I don't know if it'll help these extreme cases, but um, it feels like, for one thing, they get into a point where now they're adults, and in many cases, they're sort of like not very socially capable, so they're not going to get a girlfriend. And so I, I feel like this almost mounts to their frustration. Right. I th- I think that it's... <clears throat> It, again, it's impossible to lock this down. It's impossible to lock down in you and yeah. me, let alone and and we have all of our thoughts available to we. Can, you know what I <laughs> right. mean? Like, and it's so therefore it's impossible to understand these people. But yeah, it's it's weird that there's often a sexual component, and it seems to me that it, it could be a number of things. One is is that you could just say that a lot of people with social problems are sexually frustrated and therefore when they commit crimes like this, they're like, well, I might as well get off too. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like I, 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 I'm having trouble. I want to have sex with women and I'm having trouble with that. Right. And I really want to kill because I'm really upset at my mom or uh, yeah, I'm just, I have all this rage inside. I mean, cause to me, like that seemed to be like a pretty big through line for me was right. the amount of rage justifiable rage that yeah. that these men had and how society teaches men to take action right right and how society teaches men that they can't talk about their feelings so so maybe that's why women don't do this sort of thing is cuz they might be suffering similarly but internalize it or kill themselves more often or something mm. and or try to kill themselves more often or something and so 
a lot of these guys had a lot of justifiable rage towards women, and then they proceed to uh, displace and transfer all that rage onto innocent young women. Yeah, and then I, and then one hypothesis about the sexuality piece is like, well, I might as well have sex with them too. I might as well rape them as well. Yeah, because the the killing seems to be like a dominant part of it, right? To me, anyway. Yeah, because it's not just like. I'll see if I can get away with raping. Because you would think, like, if your sole goal was the rape part and you don't want to get caught, right. then, like, things like blindfolding or knocking them out temporarily or something. But then there's, like, the dismemberment and the eating and the stuff. It's, like, just the right. crazy extremes. Right. And they talk about this in Mindhunter, actually, I believe, in which they hypothesize that it has to do with, like, just further humiliation oh, yeah, right. of, of the of the object. Yes. You know? And so that, but, Ed, Ed Kemper specifically says, like, I just wanted to, you know, debase her. And right. Like he, he her. had sex with the corpse of his dead mom with, its, with the head. Yeah. And it's like and oh and God. so it's just like further. And actually, if you watch that document, have you seen Mommy Dead Dearest? Mommy Dead Dearest. Is that what it's called? Huh, no, it's about it's a, it's a oh, man, you have to watch it. It's really good. I did a whole episode. Oh, really? It. Is it a documentary? Netflix came out recently. Oh, okay. And it's about this mom who has this daughter and she has what they used to call Munchausen by proxy, mm. where you manufacture illnesses for your child mm-hmm. and then get your kid on a lot of meds, get them surgeries and, and all these things. And then eventually um, something horrible happens and, and sex is involved. I don't know. You, ha- you have to watch it. It's, oh, my God. Okay, I'll watch that. It's a really good documentary uh, for a number of reasons. But also one of the great things about the documentary is because she was so vocal and public about her daughter's problems of having like leukemia and all these like fake illnesses, she would actually get a lot of charities to give her money. And one of the things that charities like to do is parade their benefactors in front of the camera. Mm. It's like we've been, we've been helping this family out. And so there's all this video footage of awards and like benefits oh, wow. and all these things where you see this young girl growing up as she ages. Anyway, um, you know, uh, one thing that occurred to me while I was watching the show is uh, we've talked a little bit before about how there's this new theory or more recent theory about the the role that fear might play right in the, the development of fear. Yeah, uh, I'm wondering if this is related because I, I well, so are, just to chime in on that, so people don't remember is if you are born genetically with a brain that doesn't uh, have as much fear or it doesn't have a, a fear response as much as other people are born with, then you have a harder time empathizing because the part of the development of empathy is fear of a reprisal upon bothering someone else. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have any fear, then you might not develop empathy. So go on. Well, I was going to say that because one of the things like I'm so afraid uh, or I, I sit there and I listen to, oh, and then he like had sex with the corpse, right? And in my mind, the first thing that's going through, which is maybe wrong, but the first thing that's going through my mind is, what about all the bacteria and the viruses and they could catch so many skin diseases and stuff like that, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm saying, I'm wondering if for no other reason, so fine, you don't care about humanity, you don't care about being nice to people, don't you like 
care about your health? <laughs> and what's that? Like, I wonder if that's related to the fear thing. Like, no, they're not really afraid of stuff like that. Yeah. On that note, let's take a break. <laughs> All right. Back from the break. Again, become a patron of the podcast. Go to patreon.com. Also, buy my book on Amazon called Multi-Role multi Clinical Supervision. So just to, just to further speculate or, you know, to present the various speculations as to how these kind of things develop. One is, is genetics, is that you have a genetic disposition toward psychopathy and meaning that you don't have empathy for other people and you're, you're born with a brain that's more susceptible to developing a personality in which you're very narcissistic and self-serving and, and or you're born with a brain also that takes pleasure in harming other people, mm -hmm. either sexually or, or physically and or physically. So that's that's one point of view. And then maybe because you were born with all those genetic components, your parents might have aspects of those and as a result or and or other family members and as a result you might be in an environment that further triggers right. whatever you were going to have. <laughs> right. If you're if one or, or both of your parents are also lacking in empathy and like like to harm other people, then not only you're gonna get that genetic component, but you're also gonna get abused quite a bit and yeah. further solidify those kinds of thoughts and feelings. Um, so that's one thought. And, and then the other, the other hypothesis is the abuse or mistreatment uh, hypothesis, which, you know, seems to hold some weight. The other is, is it some kind of sexual drive that has gone wrong? Mm -hmm. Because uh, as we know, when you want to have sex, you know, with the target that you like having sex with. Right. If you're a heterosexual male and you like having sex with watermelon with, <laughs> Wait, what? What? Oh, <laughs> I thought you were, okay, sorry. That was the funniest. What every now and then you really have a good zinger. Um, so if you want to have sex with attractive women that are, that you find attractive mm -hmm. and you somehow society just was such that it didn't allow you to do that. Right. Then you, you could imagine a guy uh, trying to figure out a way to make that happen, mm -hmm. right? So he might, um, you know, say say the society is, is, is reversed back, you know, like homosexuality is the norm or something. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, uh, well, well, let's make it real. So homosexuality in the 50s. Right. And you live in Ohio and you're 25 mm. and you've never had sex with a man. You've never kissed right. a man. You've you're you're a dude and you're you're a gay dude and you've but never you have those feelings. Yeah, you've never you've never had the caress of a gay man. You've never looked into a gay man's eyes. You've never uh, you've never had sex. Right. And you know, you're busting at the seams. And you know, one night you're you get a little drunk and you're at a bar and you see a guy that you're attracted to and you go up to him and you're just, and you might start kind of trying to flirt with him. Right. And then you might be, and then you might, you go outside for a cigarette or something. You're like, Hey, uh, can I kiss you? You know, like even though your, your, your sober mind would be like, not a good idea. Right. You could get hurt. Uh, you know, the, the drive is just so strong. You can't just say, well, I guess I can never have sex again. You know, right. I guess that's my lot in life. You know, there's a there's a drive. That's right. Well, if for whatever reason you're born with or you somehow weirdly developed this like 
massive sexual, like very narrow sexual attraction to a particular kind of thing, like, mm-hmm. like struggling bodies, struggling women or dead women for that matter, then is that what it is? You know, and, and then throw in psychopathy and lack of empathy and, a, and an abuse history. Mm. And then is that what it is? Right. Because that's the way some people talk about it is that mm-hmm. it's like a sexual compulsion that builds over time and itch that they have to itch. You yeah. Know? And there's so many reasons not to do it because they're going to go to prison or blah, blah, blah. But they just, they have to itch that itch and it just builds and builds. And so, you know, that's what creates the serial nature of it, right? In That's that. certainly how, yeah, like Ted Bundy talked about it and others. Yeah. Right. It, so, so it does, is, is it does it, makes it sound, it makes it sound not that it is, um, okay. Okay. It's just that they're like, oh, I can't not do this. Right. Another, another possibility is, is it, is it self hatred, which is something that I think is a way of looking at this and in that when you're abused, you end up hating yourself mm-hmm. and then you end up, and then one of the paths of self-hatred is self-sabotage. You, as an adult, just start, you basically create a a terrible life for yourself in which no one likes you. And then you proceed to harm other people and put yourself into the line of fire of the justice system mm-hmm. because you hate yourself so much. You know what I mean? When, when you hate yourself, there's a lot of ways a lot of dysfunctional ways that this comes out and maybe it's through this sort of thing. I don't know. That is interesting. All right. So let's talk about some of the music that was in the, um, in the, cause the music plays a pretty, um, you know, key. Yeah. There's a lot of key songs where you're like, Oh, you know, 1975, right. <laughs> you know, um, what do you think of the music? Yeah. I liked, uh, I usually really enjoy the sound design and, it's not always songs. Oftentimes, it's uh, orchestral. In, fi- in Fincher, yeah, in Fincher movies. So in this case, definitely the both the music, the the sound design, and the songs were well paired. Yeah. Do you remember any of the songs? Um, not not right now, but I'm sure it was. Well, so for me, some of the songs, it was sort of like a Stranger Things for me. And you know, it's like, oh, I remember right. that 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 feel and that song, but. Some of the songs felt a little on the nose. Well, and keep in mind that if you might have been hearing some songs where you actually consciously remember from that era. Yeah. Whereas for me, it might have been songs I heard later in life. Right, right. Yeah. So like uh, Peter Frampton. And oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not in love by yeah. 10, 10 CC. Which uh, that not one. Not in love. They, they used it in Guardians recently. Da, yeah. Da, da. Yeah. <laughs> I actually learned how to sing that song. Oh, yeah. And play it. <laughs> it's a great song. It is. I, I really like uh, it. Toto, hold the line. Dun, dun, what dun, did dun, they dun. play that one? Love is it always on time. Um, is that when they're meeting for the first time? And then Don McLean crying. Oh, yeah. Cry. And then uh, fly like an eagle. Right. To the Steve Miller Band, Seattle. Steve Miller. Uh, a Fifth of Beethoven by Walter Murphy. Do you remember this? You probably don't remember this because no. you, you were too young or in Columbia or something. There was this thing that happened in the 70s where they started to rock up. Oh, I see. Yeah. Beethoven. I, I, and, I only remember hearing some of those on the radio, but I didn't think of it as a phenomenon. I yeah, just, it, was a, it was like a, a trend over a couple of years. I see. 
you know, and it's like, you got this, you got this, disco beat underneath it and everything. It's actually pretty cool. In fact, they have that one in Boogie Nights. Remember? Yeah. At the beginning. Uh, Psycho Killer by Talking Heads, pretty... Psycho Killer! That was one of the on-the-nose. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. Oh, yeah, right. The, the saxophone. Yeah. That's actually a great song. People make fun of it, but I love it. No, I like that. I like that song. Uh, let's see. Albatross by Fleetwood Mac. It's, it's before, before the Fleetwood Mac we know and love, there mm. was a different Fleetwood Mac, and it was... They were kind of like a progressive rock, and and it's this this epic instrumental that they wow, it's great. Anyway, um, I don't like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats, which I didn't realize was so such a. I, th- I consider that an '80s song, but it's I guess. Wait, it's which from, how does that one go? I don't like Mondays. <laughs> it's just like, let's see, I can't remember the exact okay. melody, but <laughs> um, in the light by Led Zeppelin right. and Hot Child in the City by Nick Gilder. Um, so we have some cliffhangers at the end. The cat with the tuna. We got the ADT guy. We got the fraud investigation was was a cliffhanger too, right? Absolutely. Right now, I mean, as far as we know, they're in deep water horizon. Yeah. yeah. Um, Netflix hasn't officially renewed it for a second season. Really? Yeah. And I mean, I, I felt like it, it was highly rated. Lots of people were talking about it. Right. Maybe it has by now, but... Okay. I mean, part of it might be Fincher might be like holding out for a better deal mm-hmm. or something. I don't know, but but yeah. So it's, it's, I also wonder, uh, not maybe not with Fincher or who knows. Like right now, how many audits are being done of stars and directors and writers? Sexual harassment. They don't want to go into new projects. Yeah. Can you imagine? They're like, all right, I'm not signing a single new deal. I want investigations up and down the board. Well, Who's coming out with what dirt? You know who would actually probably be mostly interested in it is the insurance companies because a lot yeah. of the, a lot of these projects have insurance. That's right. You know where it's like oh, they have clauses where it's like if an actor becomes incapacitated or maybe even there's a clause in there like if if an actor becomes so toxic, yeah, halfway through production with their PR, then insurance will kick in. And so I wonder if insurance companies are, are actually. Yeah you know raising their rates if if you basically if you have any men over the age of oh no 40, i mean you see the al franken one yeah god it's, uh, damn it's, but it, it, it's really tough because uh it's gonna come it's just more and more gonna come out yeah and and so that's what i was wondering i'm like man signing new deals must be getting tough yeah <laughs> so the weird thing about this show is that david fitcher said that uh, the next, if he does have a next season, he's going to go into the Atlanta child murders of 1979 to 1981, in which a serial killer took the lives of 28 African-Americans, mostly children Geeks. in the Atlanta area. So that he says, he's saying he wants to eventually tell that story. So it's like the next, if they do have a next season, maybe they'll jump forward a few years into that zone. But to me, I'm like, well, eventually they've got to get to the ADT you guy. You better pay off on that one because the whole season we're like, that's going to be the final boss this season. Nope. <laughs> yeah, but the ADT guy was caught 
in 2005. So, oh, right. So, what are they going to do there? Right. So, they're going to have to start maybe following it, but fast forwarding. That could be an interesting thing, right? If they start each season fast forwards in time, like five years or something. Something like well, that. Well, even if they did that, uh, the ADT guy won't get caught until like season seven. <laughs> and he was like, at the beginning of every single episode in season one, right? Okay, yeah. So it's yeah. it's it seems like a dumb choice on their unless part. that's unless which actually I I would respect that choice. Maybe that's not the usual uh, end of credits scene, so to speak. Maybe that is a a looming threat. That maybe is, maybe I mean it would be interesting if they had like five seasons or even three three yeah. or four seasons. And like at the beginning of every episode, they right. just they have a kind of enigmatic ADT guy scene, and and it's sort of driving home that that's kind of how it was like. Yeah, he was just no one caught him for thirty years. He just kept going. Yeah, like that's crazy. Yeah, well, so I don't know. Um, Man, that would be mad respect if they did that. They the the show might also have interviews with Charles Manson, Charlie Manson, and David Berkowitz and Ted Bundy. Next season, they're they're talking about because they all, they kind of tease that a little okay. bit, you know, right? You know, the, yeah. Holden right. was like, I think I'm going to get a talk with Ted Bundy. You know, oh, did they did he say that? I thought he did. I thought I thought he said Charlie Manson. When was Ted Bundy caught? Caught. That's a good question. Was it still seventies? If was, only right? if only I had researched this. If and, only we had done an episode about this. Yeah. So what? So you're looking forward? I, it sounds like it too. Well, uh, topic alone is enough. Let alone that it'll probably improve. You know. Yeah, and I, I already liked it. So if it gets, so if it stays or gets better, it's win-win. Yeah, I am extremely skeptical and have very low expectations for second seasons <laughs> okay. of, of anything. <laughs> of anything, yeah. <laughs> you know, Heroes, uh, uh, Downton Abbey. <laughs> uh, what other shows just completely disappointed me in the second season? Um, Lots of them. Lost. Uh, and, and, uh, and so, so with Mindhunter, I, I'm like. I'm like, um, well, I see. I thought that maybe if it's good, then great. But if it if it takes a you know a drop off, you know, I'll, I feel like Lost didn't drop till three, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, answer me this: first season of Lost is amazing, right? Yes. Okay, so one of the best things. Second ever. season was kind it of it was a drop from the it, most amazing thing ever. Yeah. Yes, it was riding that on the true. coattails, but I, I it hadn't it hadn't gone completely down the tubes. Like the yeah. way it did season three and on. And because I will say the the sharpest drop off uh, in shows like that probably was Heroes. Oh, God. You know? Yeah. Heroes, almost everyone thought the first season was great. Yeah. But I, I did see a little glimmer of crap at that very last fight because they sort of like, it was anticlimactic. But I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then the second season, it was like, time travel? Holy shit, right? And then it was like, oh, that's it? Yeah. And then from there, it was garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, similar to Lost with Heroes, the premise was good and, yeah. and, and they had a good idea to get the thing going. And, but they hadn't written out, they hadn't written out the, the arc. Yeah. yeah the and, arc, sorry. and they, with, with, um, both of those shows, the first season was based on, withholding satisfaction right yes. because like in heroes you had you had people with powers that they were discovering and they weren't very powerful yet 
Not and, yet. And Skyler was one of the most terrifying villains yeah. of all time. Yeah, they I mean, did that really well. He, he and and things hadn't blown out of proportion yet. You know, the no. second season, the powers were so big by that point. Well, remember they had to nerf everyone artificially. They had to have that whole eclipse thing, and now everyone's back to baby form. Right, and then they went to season three, in yeah. which they like they were like, okay, we gotta like really do this good, and they completely went off the rails. Do you remember Skylar? <clears throat> Skylar kept going from good to bad to good. Yeah, to bad. Um, I, I think that the Lost didn't blow its load the first season. Right. So that's another thing. It lost first season. A lot of mysteries. A lot of mysteries. But like not so many mysteries. Right. right. And, 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 and you were left at the end of the season going, I definitely want more. Yeah. The problem with Heroes is we felt we want more because we enjoyed it, but they did blow their load. Right. Yeah. They, they were like, Invince, uh, like they basically got to Superman level, and and so what should have happened is like that would have been a good movie, like that would have been the movie. Yeah. But instead, they're like, well, now what do we do? Right. What they should have done with second season would be like maybe kill some of the characters. Yeah. Or or keep their powers under a certain level, or um, and, or and, and diverge some ways, into some other storyline or something. You know. Yeah. And in some ways, I mean, it was. It was a brave move to say, you know, we're going to, Peter's going to lose all his powers, right? It's like, okay, I, I get, I get applause initially for that. But the rest of the writing didn't keep up with those brave decisions. And so you end up with yeah. silliness. Yeah. But how did we get to heroes? Yeah. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. This episode is dedicated to all those people who emailed us and said, why haven't you talked about Mindhunter yet? So there you go. You know, Siler would have been a great, Oh, Siler, sorry, not Skyler. Would have been a great interviewee in Mindhunter. Ooh. But he just would have cut, Killed their, head, everyone. cut their heads off. Yeah. Um, all right, that does it for that episode. Please take care of yourself because... You deserve it.